Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, super achievers. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Sigram. Sigram is a business strategist, mastermind coach, TEDx speaker, and host of The Sigrin Show. Sigrin helps people scale their online businesses to seven figures. Welcome, Sigrin. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You have a very interesting background. Can you tell us about it? Tell, uh, tell, share with our listeners all of this cool stuff that you've done. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try to be brief. Um, I was born in Iceland uh, and I moved away 20 years old to study in Germany architecture. The way it happened is that I felt very early on at a young age that I needed to know what I had to do in my life. Like, you know, with age of six, I decided to be an author. And, wow. the, and the reason I decided to be an author is uh, we were writing uh, our first story. It's probably the first thing I've written in my life. Uh, it's like the first grade at school. And our stories were sent into the radio station. There was only one radio station at the time. And they picked my story. And it was a story about a cat. And I don't know why. Because I don't really like cats. I'm more of a dog person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this inspired me at the age of six to become an author. And I started to talk about it with my family. Like, I'm going to be an author. And I had all these ideas. And I I really love telling stories. It, It came... I'm a natural storyteller, but I was even more natural as a, as a child. I was constantly talking, constantly telling everyone a story. Uh, so it did make complete sense to be an author, except uh, what I heard from people, my family and my, you know, my cautious mother, uh, that you can't live from being an author. And that would not be true today. Actually, in Iceland, there is a lot of authors that live from just writing books. But when I was young, that was not really the case. And so I thought to myself, oh, I need to find something else. And at the age of eight, I realized, oh, I can be a teacher because they have long summer holidays. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, Icelandic teachers had summer holidays of four months. And I thought, this is perfect. Uh, I will write the books in the summer and I'll teach in the winter. Uh, so this was all like I had, the, I had fully mapped out my plan at the age of 11, though, teachers went on strike and I was a very curious child. So I asked my teacher, why are you going on strike? And he said, because we're paid too little money. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I have to find something else to do then. Um, I love drawing. And uh, on the weekends, my parents uh, would take us for a ride, like buy ice cream and drive around new neighborhoods where they were building new houses. And I started to put the two and two together. I like looking at these new houses. I like drawing. Let's become an architect. And it's kind of crazy because you couldn't start the architecture in Iceland. But I just put it in my head that I was going to be an architect. That same summer, we traveled to south of Germany and uh, in Freiburg. Uh, we were staying at a, at a hotel and it had a big square. And I stood on that square and I 
whispered to myself, I'm going to come back here and study architecture. Aww. And you, you could think this was just a cute thing that 11-year-old girl says. Well, I was really determined. <laughs> and nine years later, I moved to Freiburg, Germany uh, and started to uh, learn German. And then I moved later to Karlsruhe, which is just an hour away from Freiburg to study architecture. So, yeah, that was what happened at the age of 20. I was making my dream come true of studying what I wanted to study. And I had done everything that I needed to do. I had gone to the right, uh, you know, high school and I'd learned German and I had figured out how to pay for it. Uh, Studying in Europe is for free, but you still need to kind of pay for your uh, living costs. And I took a student loan. My parents didn't even have to help me out. And that's also not common in Iceland. So I was paying for my own study, living in a foreign country. And uh, towards the end of my architecture studies, uh, I realized I didn't want to become an architect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, I felt it very strongly that I had uh, you know, really enjoyed my studies. I didn't regret anything, uh, but it was not the path that I wanted to take. And there were a couple of things. I had worked in an architecture office in my summer vacation, and I had seen what it's like to be an architect. You know, there were big projects, and then they could go and buy a TV and a car, and then there was no projects coming in, and they couldn't pay my salary on time. And I was a bit affected by that. Uh, yeah. At the same time, I also realized that I was not the best architect in the world. Uh, I was not going to be, you know, Richard Meyer or one of these famous architects that, you know, gets a, a contract to design a museum. I, I was probably just going to be a pretty normal architect, you know, not a bad one. I do think I had design capabilities, but I, I, I kind of realized where I would end up and I didn't like that. I, I I wanted something more. I knew I was destined for something more. So it was not a hard decision. I did finish my degree, though. So I am a licensed architect, um, but I switched over to computer science and I loved it. Uh, the Internet was new at the time and everything was I was doing 3D uh, and I absolutely loved it. And I went to Switzerland for a year to do a combination of computer science and architecture, special degree, computer-aided architectural design, where I was programming 3D worlds. It was super exciting. But at the same time, if we look at the world today uh, with virtual reality and artificial intelligence, this was like the, what do you call it? The baby face, the (laughs) baby face, you know? It was so difficult to do. The the computers had to be so powerful. And when I was telling someone what I did, nobody understood it. <laughs> and so I was I was doing it too early. And when I realized that 3D wouldn't take off, I was quite disappointed. You know, I was so fascinated by this world of virtual reality, but the virtual reality we have today that was like Now, finally, people can use it. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad I stepped out because, you know, waiting a year after year for something to materialize that you think will happen and it doesn't, it's very frustrating. So after being in this virtual reality world for, you know, just two years, really, I realized it was just not going to happen. 
And even finding a job doing this was very, very hard. So I moved into a more traditional uh, software. I moved back to Iceland and I became a project manager in a software company that was doing, uh, you know, geographical design. Uh, Google Maps didn't exist at the time. So we were doing little maps of cities for companies like Lufthansa, where you could like figure out where to go, where were the restaurants in London or Paris. It's funny, like we were creating this like really manually. Uh, and the software, and now it's so easy with Google Maps. But it was fun times. I really enjoyed being part of something brand new, like being part of these baby steps of technologies and 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 seeing how far we have come today. But ultimately, I realized that I'm a business person. And mm. the way I found that out, uh, Basically, I was this project manager in a software company, and I was doing my computer science degree on the side. I felt I needed a degree in computer science. And then the dot-com boom happened. I lost my job in this uh, software company. And I did a course, evening course, where I would learn how to do business planning. But then I was too scared to start my own company. Uh, I didn't have any money on the side. And I was just not mindset-wise ready to take any risks. I wanted uh, a job with a salary. So I approached the company where my sister was working, and they weren't really looking for people. Nobody wanted to hire anyone at the time because it was kind of a it was kind of a you know recession, kind of after the you know dot-com boom. And uh, but I brought my business plan of how I could sell consulting services. So with my business plan in hand, I was able to land a job in this small software company that was doing websites. Um, and I exactly one year later, I come to work. I remember this so clearly on a Friday afternoon. Uh, well, obviously I went to work Friday morning, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the company had been sold. and. We didn't know who had bought it, but we immediately realized there would be some changes made. And the, our boss, the CEO, who was only there part-time, would leave. And that day, we were just in shock. Uh, and I loved my job. Uh, I loved this job. I was more like a, I was a mixture of project manager and a sales manager. I would have contact to all the customers. I would help them figure out what their website would look like. I would communicate that to the graphic designer. Uh, you know, I would also write up, you know, the tender offer or what that project would cost. So I was doing a lot of different things, like a mixture of business, but also a bit of design. So I do think my architecture degree helped me a bit. You know, I had an eye for design, although I'm not a graphic designer. But when this happened, the company was sold. I just started to get this crazy idea that I could become the next CEO. <laughs> and I had no business education and no business degree. So in the first moment, I thought, this is crazy. Nobody's going to hire anyone without education, at least. But this idea just wouldn't go away. It uh, came to me back again and again over the next few days. And then I asked my sister, who was there working with me, what do you think? And she said, I think it's a good idea. Uh, and I would ask more people. And so I approached the new owners. Um, 
uh, I found out that one of my old, old friends uh, from, you know, primary school was working at this company that had bought this, our company. And I called her up and asked her what I needed to do. And she said, send me a memo uh, with the current status of the company and what the future holds. And I'll see that the right people get your memo. So that's what I did. And to make a long story short, because we can go on forever, <laughs> I got the job. I became a CEO with an architecture degree and still not finished with my computer science degree. But somehow, in hindsight, it all makes sense because that's where I really found my home. I loved running businesses. And since then, I've been running businesses for the last 16 years. Wow. And so you advise people on online businesses. So can you share a little bit about, I understand there's seven stages on how you grew uh, your online businesses in particular from zero to seven figures? Yeah. So after I had been a CEO for 10 years in different companies, uh, mostly working on turnarounds, mergers, startups, I was sick for seven months. And lost my job twice in two years. So I thought to myself, now is the time to start my own business. And I think a lot of people, especially those who start a business later in their lives, uh, have some sort of an epiphany, like something happens that leads you to seeing this almost like a point of no return. Um, It's almost like the last thing you have to do, but then you realize, oh, wow, this was actually my dream and this is much better. So losing your job was the best thing that happened to me or even getting sick, although I wouldn't wish that on anyone to get uh, sick for so long as I did. But I needed those things to happen to finally make my dream that started with this business planning course, you know, ages ago where I learned how to do a business plan. I suddenly realized, yeah. I can do this. I need to do this. And I need to take care of my health. And I like to work from home. And I like to work in English and be international. You know, I've been based in Switzerland in the last 12 years. I moved to Switzerland uh, 12 years ago. And I want to travel to Iceland to my family whenever I uh, want it and not just rely on holidays. Uh, So there was a lot of things that kind of it all ticked the box that it was the right time to start my online business. Um, But the The thing was, I I dabbled a lot in the beginning, and that's why I created those seven stages. I realized there's people don't really understand in what order they need to do things to be successful in online business. A lot of people want to start with an online course right away, myself included. So (laughs) I've made the mistakes. Don't make them. Um, Yes, online business is uh, online courses. But when you start out, you really need to be able to sell to one person because if you can't sell to one person, you cannot sell to a few or to many. And when you have an online course, you have to sell it to many people because online courses are typically lower in price than if you sell something to one person and do one-on-one coaching. And then many of my clients tell me, Sigrun, I don't want to do one-on-one coaching. I'm like, you don't have to do it for a long time, but if you... Just take the time, maybe the next three months to do one-on-one coaching and learn what you like, what you can really help people with, and who is your ideal client. This is what people have to figure out quite fast. What do you really like to do and who is the person you like to help? If you figure out who you like to help, 
the options and opportunities are limitless. We constantly have my clients do this exercise, your ideal client exercise. They hate it because actually it takes, <laughs> it takes work to do it. Yeah. They really have to think. But when you nail this down so detailed, like let's say your ideal client, let's just take an example. An ideal client would be uh, a 25 year old that has to commute uh, to the office, listens to podcasts, but the commute is 20 minutes. And let's say you are starting a podcast. Should your podcast be 20 minutes or one hour? You know, just these things start to become very clear if you understand your ideal client clearly. So that's the key. And that you, you can do that so fast if you just start one-on-one. So the seven stages, basically state zero. I start actually with state zero. I know some people find that uh, kind of weird. Uh, but state zero is when you're not earning any money and you are in the research phase of what your online business should be about. And this actually applies to any type of business, really. In the research phase, you need to uh, figure out, again, as I said, what you like doing, what you can help with, who's your ideal client, and you do it all for free. And uh, this is a time to send out a survey. You don't need any email list or nothing. I have my clients do this constantly. They send out a survey. They ask their friends to fill it out, who fit the profile of the ideal client, obviously. Uh, you do interviews. And then you offer maybe three people max to do the process you want to do. So let's say you have this idea of, I had this idea back in 2014, um, how to find your true passion and right business idea in seven days. And then I just need three people to test this idea with me and see if it works and get feedback. And obviously, if it works, you want their testimonial because now you can start to charge for it. And now you can say to the next three people, hey, it's going to cost X amount and it's going to be six sessions over six weeks. And this is exactly what happened with me. I created a course. Yes, I know I shouldn't have, but I created an online course, how to find your true passion and right business idea. And then I got an email one day from a man who said, do you do some coaching? And I'm like, yes, I do. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I already had thought of a price. So I said 1500 for six sessions in six weeks. And I have an online course that we can use, like, so you can do your homework in between sessions. And he loved it. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's basically how you start. So you start with, you know, your research phase. And once you start to charge, you are in stage one. So stage one is all about getting more one-on-one -on -one clients. And I tell my clients to get fully booked. Fully booked does not mean you have 40 clients or something like that. Typically, it actually means more like 10 clients at a time. I tried to have 13 clients at a time. It was too much. And I'm talking about one-on-one. -on -one. Of course, when you have started to create group programs and online courses, you can have thousands of clients at the same time. But in the beginning, you cannot have so many because you need to pay weekly attention to these clients. Typically, you do coaching calls weekly in the beginning. Once you get a bit more experienced and your clients are further in business or anything else, they might be learning singing, you might actually want to do it every other week. But in the beginning, if you're working with beginners, you want to have it every week. So I tell people to get fully booked before they go to the next stage. And the next stage is stage two, and that's group coaching. And there I suggest 
once you have enough people working with you one-on-one, there's going to be interest to work with you in a group because that's a little bit cheaper than one-on-one. So typically that's about three quarters of the price you would charge um, or half, depending on what, uh, what it is. And I started with groups of six uh, because I saw some other coach do it. I thought, oh, groups of six, sounds good. Uh, I sold out my first group program, two groups of six, and I had them together in a Facebook group. And then I started to scale on my groups. I started to have groups of eight, then 10, and 18. Uh, currently, I'm running a group coaching program with about 50 people. But the only way I've been able to scale to 50 people, and we ultimately probably will go to 100 or even 200, is that I have coaches. We are six coaches now in the program. So this takes time, of course, and this takes years. But you yeah. really go from zero to two and three sta- in the stages in uh, one or two years. So stage three is creating your first online course. I typically recommend you create a four-week online course in the beginning. Don't try to create like a massive 12-week or six-month online course. It really hurts me when I meet people that have created massive amount of content. And then they ask me, Sigrun, how should I sell this? And I'm like, <laughs> uh... It's actually the other way around. You sell it first and then yeah. <laughs> uh, create it. Uh, so that's what I teach my clients. Uh, I take them through a special process of where they create their first four-week online course without, you know, uh, they basically get people to sign up before they create anything. And and it's, it can be a little bit stressful, but I really take them step-by-step step through the process. And at the end, they're so thankful because they have a course that's finished you know, it's been their dream for a long time and finally they have it. But you cannot really live from a four-week online course, even if you have a lot of signups. Most people can't. So in many cases, you want to create what I call a signature online course, which is more like eight or 12 weeks. And that brings you up in stage four of my SEM stages uh, framework. And a signature course, people ask me, what, what is a signature course? It's the one thing you want to be known for. So if if you only would sell one thing, it's your signature thing. It could be a group program, but typically it's an online course that is endlessly scalable. It shouldn't matter if you have 10, 100, or 1,000 people in the course. Uh, you should be able to run it with a similar structure. Now, so of, of course, at some point you want to get some extra help, but... That's basically it. Stage five, uh, you add some masterminds. For instance, I had mastermind retreat in Iceland for several years. Uh, people have maybe mastermind groups. Mastermind is different from a group coaching in a sense. It's more facilitation and less coaching. And then stage six, ultimately, is, uh, you know, then you are building that authorship you know, you're writing a book. You, uh, If you haven't started a podcast, this is the time to start it. Uh, probably you start a little bit sooner, but, you know, writing your book, uh, having a big conference, you know, really becoming an authority in your niche. And that concludes the seven stages of a profitable online business. Wow. <laughs> now, um, I love, too, that you you grew it from six to seven figures, what obstacles did you face in addition to some of the other ones that you'd already mentioned in doing that? Mainly mindset. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because the fact of the matter is that once you have a business model that works, 
and you can start to scale. Like even if you decided to have all your groups at uh, six people, you can run five groups at the same time. But what happens is that your mindset gets in the way because the first time I earned $25,000, for instance, in one month, I was in such a shock myself that the following month I earned $1,700. I be- oh, wow. I basically self-sabotaged. I, wow. I stopped sending out emails. I, I, I would not advertise a webinar. Like, so this is where really it helps to be surrounded with like-minded people or people who are further than you and, and you don't get stuck with your own mind. Like we all have something maybe from childhood or how much our parents earned or how much you earned before. And when you hit that threshold, the brain starts to play crazy tricks on you. Uh, so I got over that, the first step, but there's a, you know, new devil at every level. So <laughs> it is, you know, but at some point, the million sounded very achievable and it became like a competition with myself. I was in my fourth year of business. I had made 340000 the year before, and I was like determined to triple my income. And uh, in August that year, I was at 340000 I'm like, ooh, it's going to be a bit hard to, you know, do over 600000 in a couple of months. But I worked on my mindset like crazy. I started my podcast at the time. I did my first live event, but I would write in my book every single day how I was going to make the uh, money, how I was going to make the million. I would list all my programs. I would list how many people I could have in each program. And just that exercise worked magic. I didn't Mm. manifest this million. I worked really hard for it. But it helped to kind of visually kind of just this practice of writing in my notebook every day. How is this going to work out? And on the last day, really, quarter to midnight, I made million dollars. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh. So you help people do this. Can you share a little bit about your services and products that individuals can learn more about this? So it starts with a 12-month program called Samba, Sigrun's Online MBA. That's where people learn how to create their first online course. Uh, Then we have uh, just introduced the program this year that's called Online Turnaround. That's where they take that online course and learn to market and sell it. And then I have a group coaching program at the next level for people who have already started to make some good money and really want to take their business to six figures. And ultimately, I help people go all the way to seven figures. Uh, My highest level program is called Red Circle. I love wearing red, so I had to have red in the name. And then (laughs) for people who are on track to make a million dollars. Wow, nice. Awesome. So we will make sure and put your website in the show notes as well, so people can access that information. A lot of great information today. Is there a final pearl of wisdom or a piece of advice you'd like to share with our listeners? The first step is that you believe in yourself. We all are capable of amazing things, but you've got to believe in yourself. Mm, Nice. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Sigrun. Thank you for having me.
If you'd like to learn more about Sigrun, visit her website at sigrun.com. That's S-I-G-R-U-N dot com. Did you know that time is not your most limiting resource? To find out how to increase your productivity and have more time to do the things you love, visit secrettosuperproductivity.com.